okay, let's let's bring this all back now to Tejona. This yeah. cow dog that was a victim of the separation. You know, they tried all their domination, alpha dog, horse training techniques on a cow dog that's killing chickens. And when they didn't work, they thought it was the dog's fault. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to put her down. Not too much different than the crucifixion of Jesus. They weren't going to torture the dog or anything. They weren't going to make an example for other dogs. It wasn't a public thing. It was a private thing. But they gave up. They, they didn't know what else to do to get this dog to not kill their chickens because they're just operating in that separation. They have to break its spirit and when it becomes obedient dog, then it'll stop doing it. So Tejona's putting up with the beatings, but she still owns the chickens. They even shot at her, but she owned the chickens. And so now I've got this dove in the house and I'm owning it and she's like, it's not mine. And um, this makes sense to her. And so I kept the, the, dog, the dove wouldn't eat in captivity, so I released it the next day. But the dog and the bird were hanging out together. And then I put the dove out on the porch. I sat on the porch, and Tejona came out and um, sat with her for an hour. The, dog, the dove is free. Greetings. Welcome back to A Thousand Serious Moves with Amanda Holstein. This is an occasionally comedic, often poetic podcast about mysticism, spirituality, and the esoteric. On today's episode, we conclude our interview with David Sleeper. This is part four of four with mule whisperer, dog whisperer, natural mystic David Sleeper and his work on rehabilitating humans and rehabilitating the way that we train our children and the way that we train our animals and how these things are connected. David maintains that we live in a world of separation and that healing comes from returning back into the oneness. So join me in this ongoing conversation with David. If you haven't checked out parts one, two, and three, I suggest you do so. However, this is my favorite one of the four, though I guess they're all connected. Am I reinforcing the separation by picking a favorite conversation? Who knows? Make sure to subscribe to A Thousand Serious Moves and to check out previous episodes and seasons. In season four, I went through all of the psalms and went through each of the magical and useful purposes for the psalms, so this could benefit you as well in your life. And after today's episode for this special interruption to our regularly scheduled programming, I'll be returning to the book of Ecclesiastes and picking up at Ecclesiastes 7, so be sure to check out season five revamped or recontinued season five after these episodes so lots of great benefits for you here at a thousand serious moves and without further ado the conclusion of my conversation with sleeper the dog the dove is free and it can go anytime but it's now comfortable because both of them know I'm owned, they're owned by me. 
I have ownership of the den, my yard, the house. I own the dove. And now the, the dog is pack member and respecting. The dog has its own integrity, its own morality. I wouldn't eat your dove. Mm -hmm. I was eating my chickens, but nobody else was claiming them. It's just that simple. So then I caught two cottontails in a live trap in succession and brought them in my house. And the cottontail, when you first release it, is just leaping up the walls, you know, acting total prey, chaos. And I'm just owning it and trusting. And, and the dog is just watching the chaos. Well, it's not my prey. Doesn't belong to me. And I'm being trusted. I love being trusted. This is great. And so then I caught another one and, I, and let that one go after it got, it got where it wouldn't run around anymore. I would just hang out with the dog. And I got another one and then started out wild doing the same thing. And this one I took down to my shop where there's a big garage door. And when it was time to release the rabbit, I opened up, was sitting with the dog, I opened up the garage door and there's freedom. And the rabbit is just hanging out with the dog, and Tejona went and rolled upside down next to the rabbit to show, I am not a threat. And so the rabbit could be free, but now it's choosing, just like the bird did, to hang out with this predator, because everybody, there's no, there's no victim-prey relationship going on here, because I have ownership. And they all love being trusted. And the dog loves hanging out with that little morning dove, loves hanging out with these rabbits. So it's like the lion shall lay down with the lamb. Yeah. Or like the, the bunny shall lay down with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> so in my world, that's those things, like people do that a lot with livestock. They get the dogs killing goats. What are we going to do? We can't break it. We can't stop him. We can't trust it. Well, that's because we're still operating out of the separation. I mean, the word break is, yeah. I mean, it's so obvious, <laughs> like how fucked up it is. Yeah. Yeah. My father used to tell me all the time, I'm going to break your spirit. It's the last thing I ever Jesus. do. And he was a good man. Yeah. You know, and these farmers were great people. Yeah. That's I mean, just how they were trained. They were horse trained and yeah. they, they had no other tools in their toolbox. Yeah. And now they're going to kill a dog because it's untrainable. You know, Jesus was untrainable by the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not respecting this whole buy a sacrifice to appease the deity trick. Right. And he's talking about loving your neighbors yourself. Well, we live in an us and them world. Mm-hmm. And love is really not the deal here because our God doesn't love us unconditionally. It's conditionally. And then after they created a religion about Jesus, then it really got conditionally. God can only love you if you repent and say, And feel bad about it. Like, you have to feel really bad about it, yeah, too. Like, yeah. you can't just, like... Like, you have to wallow in shame for, like, a, a while, you know? Like, that's... We'll yeah. drop way into victimhood and prayhood. Yeah. And then say, save me because I'm miserable. I am by myself. I am worthless. Yeah. I need you, Jesus. I, then you can save me from this horrible God that will send me to eternity in hell if I don't do what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Everything external. I have to plead to like something outside me or like, you know, ask for forgiveness from a priest. It's like, it's that continuation of codependency, like just like a drug just like a relationship, mm -hmm. you know, this assumption that every, that the answer is outside me and that I have to be in a lower state and like humility is important, but that's not the same as humiliation, right? Like as humiliating myself in order to appease somebody else or, you know, a higher power. And then also when you're doing this whole process, Jesus is there. The creator is there because you're calling on him. 
they show to they show up to be helpful. You feel that energy. But then we make that assumption, like I said before, that well then therefore whether this preacher or priest or pope or Iman or cleric is saying is true, and all these doctrines and dogmas must be true because Jesus showed up. Mm -hmm. Uh uh. You called on him, he showed up. It doesn't mean that, therefore, all this separation stuff is true. And if you really want to know him beyond this whole Savior concept, to save you from your sins, your, your, all your poor choices, where you don't have to evolve and learn from them, they can just magically go away now. Mm-hmm. Um, really get in touch with that presence and see how that, how that relates to that presence of the Creator within you. And have a personal relationship without a religion in the way trying to define everything. Mm-hmm. But when we're horse trained as prey, we don't feel we have the ability, the capability, the possibility to have a direct relationship. We need some authority figures telling us how to think. Right. Like the horse, the well-trained horse doesn't really, the human can do all the thinking. Yeah. And now they're dressage or, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Well, and so also to flip it is that, you know, I don't think either one of us are talking shit about Christianity. Like you're speaking sympathetically to this idea of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because we can even take the religion that is, has been corrupted and to find the truth that's within it. Because... All religions have many layers and interpretations to these stories as well. They're fluid. It's not science. It's not logic, right? It's poetics. It's mysticism mm-hmm. on a very like deep level to the point where I can interpret the story or the character of Jesus without getting attached to whether or not this was an actual historical event that happened. I can look at it in a symbolic manner and say the light of God is within quote unquote man. And so I like to say that I'm Jesus, Mm -hmm. you're Jesus. We are Christ incarnate and everybody has this divine spark and this divine light of the creator because as the Bible says, we are made in God's image, meaning we have that imprint of the creator within ourselves. The interconnectedness, the oneness. Yeah, exactly. And so we can take these stories from all these different religions and divorce the dogma with the discernment and with the light that's within us and to suss out something that actually is helpful in our own paths and in our own lives without getting stuck on condemning religions per se. Um, Even the idea of the crucifixion, like thinking about it as, you know, the sacrifice of the flesh. And so carrying on that same tradition from Judaism carried over to Christ being the ultimate sacrifice that if I am Jesus Christ, so to speak, and the sacrifice of the flesh can be a story that means that I'm denying this um, inclination for the desires of the flesh solely. And so it's not that it's wrong to, you know, enjoy life and good food and, you know, fellowship of other people, but that when it gets to an imbalanced point 
where that's all I'm pursuing is just the external world and mm-hmm. three or four dimensions, then there's, I'm creating further separation and I'm being like, I don't care about the earth. Right. And so to deny the flesh is to deny that I am separate from you, from the trees and the grass and the air and the spirits and all the things that I don't even see. When, um, I like to, especially when I was younger, I would kind of go to see all the different ways people express their spirituality different religions and things and, and go there non-judgmentally just as an observer. Mm-hmm. And when I'm involved in a Christian situation, sooner or later someone's going, over, well, are you saved? Are you a Christian? <laughs> right. That kind of thing. The, you know, how well do you fit into our paradigm here? Mm-hmm. And I would say, oh, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but um, Jesus is my best friend. And if they ask further, I say, well, I don't know, I don't have a relation with, with him because of Christianity in spite of Christianity. Um, to me, Christianity is a little upside down and backwards, and I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. I still pursued the, what the you know what's behind the curtain, so to speak, and so I have a relationship direct, um, and it's powerful and it's wonderful. But he's not my savior, <laughs> mm. um, master teacher, things like that. But. Um, his job isn't to, when I'm in these classes in the school of hard knocks, to come along and and jerk me out of it. Right. And then how do I get to the next class? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've got to go through the ladder here. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't master the next class until I've mastered this one. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. And so that Christ consciousness is certainly a guide, but I have to make sure the religious interpretation of all that is pushed to the side basically to learn from not as a bad thing not as a right or wrong or anything mm-hmm. like that but it's just how it is it is what it is on this planet of this is a planet of separation mm-hmm. and so when consciousness shows up we do weird things to it and then we establish doctrines and dogmas to make sure it don't show up again <laughs> yeah and i think you know there's many ways to awaken some people receive like a lightning flash of awareness where all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, everything is not how it seems. But it's also like coming, like in in the 12 steps, it says we came to believe. And so the process of coming to, like in the morning, right, or awakening throughout the day is that enlightenment doesn't just happen. And I mean, it's debatable if enlightenment is even a real thing, if it's not already everything. And so where I am in my path is I've learned these things and it's a daily process of awakening and surrender and learning new things. And what seems like a progression, it's not necessarily like I'm I'm, I'm getting closer to the divine. It's more like peeling away the layers or like dissolving the layers or like, like a solid block of ice, thinking about the metaphor of water again, right? Is like a solid block of ice is like, what reality is like the reality that we're born into is this like concrete, like, you know, Plato, right? Like that God is up there and that we have to channel up this ladder to get to this thing, right? Mm -hmm. But really 
the process in my path is the melting of that ice and then the fire within me, the desire to pursue this path is what melts that ice and then dissolves that water into a mist. And then it becomes part of the atmosphere and becomes one with the air that I breathe. And so there's no separation even between the four or five elements. It's that all of these things have different aspects of them that like water is like fire and that it flows and it has this like unpredictability about it, right? And that, you know, um, air and water are not separate either. So like even in the basic elements themselves are not separate. There's no us in them. Right. Let me take it back to Tejono and kind of tie some things together. So on her mission in this life, she incarnates and finds herself on this farm with chickens and she finds herself in big trouble. And then because of that, I show up. And the only reason I was looking for a dog is because the previous dog, um, there, was a, there was a vacancy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm available, she's available, and now we've come together. And then since my techniques are different, um, like I ride a motorcycle and I don't ask her to join me because I don't call a dog. And when I'm getting on that and look like I'm enjoying it and she wants to participate, I can give her advice. But when she figures out how to ride it, she owns it because she's there by her choice. She's not obeying me. And then we had a situation here where there's a four-way stop here in this town in Marfa and and one Saturday night, somebody made an illegal U-turn and they're gonna run me right over with the dog on the motorcycle. And I have to really lay that bike over hard to miss them. And then as I'm driving off, I just wave real nice, like no hard feelings. And um, uh, did I tell you this story in the last time? Mm-hmm. No, okay, good, good. I don't wanna do things twice. Um, but I'm waving at a Border Patrol while this is all happening. And then he comes up to me later with his lights on to stop me. And he says, I found the person was just confused. They weren't drunk. And I, sorry, I flashed you down, sir, but I have to ask you a question. I love dogs. And how did that dog ever stay on that motorcycle? Mm. So I explained to him, I says, well, she's there by her choice. She owns herself. She owns that thing. So as I'm seeing the possible wreck, she's seeing it too. And instead of going into fear-based and jumping off or doing something stupid, She's reading the situation and becoming more on. Mm-hmm. Living without tragedy, see? Without fear, without judgment. That was like a self-realized dog. Yeah. And uh, without the negativity. And so the same with me. As I'm driving off, I'm waving nicely like no road rage. You know, accidents happen. Showing no negativity. Yeah. And to me, it was just a, whoa, that was close. But um, it was, and Tejona. And so this guy pulled, how did that dog ever stay on that motorcycle? Mm-hmm. So I'm explaining to him, it's because of who she is. She's not performing. It's because of her sense of self. And so I tell people, she started the Me Too movement for dogs. (laughs) And her self-identity was intact. Her free will was intact. She's not performing codependently for anybody. If someone tried to give her hamburgers, just be insulted. Like, you don't see who I am. I relate the world to my heart and mind, not my stomach. And I'm not for sale. 
for any, you, you can call me if you want to. You can try to bribe me if you want to. But I am my own being here. So at any rate, well, then I'll take it further. When, when she died, a vet had given her prednisone for an inflammation that caused her to go deaf. I'm with three COVID nurses that are hiding out in Marfa undercover last October when the COVID thing was real big and, and they don't want anybody to know they're COVID nurses. And, and we're talking about death and tragedy. And they say, what's wrong with your dog? And I said, well, I think she's coming deaf. I just came from the courthouse and she was acting like it. Let me, I popped a balloon behind her head to test. She didn't hear a thing. When I came around with the balloon and um, she could see the broken balloon and she could see in my mind that I had diagnosed her. I knew what she was going through. The next vehicle by the St. George Hotel here in town was like a one-ton oil field truck or something. And all of a sudden there's some lady screaming hysterically about the hit-and-run driver. I mean, real hysterically. And uh, she's yelling, the dog has got run over, you know? And well, I know it's not Tejona. She knows all about traffic. And I stick my head out there, and it is her. And... Um, it's run over just her head. She's no sign of life. And my heart doesn't even skip a beat because I've learned about tragedy, see? And I'm also very impressed because I just diagnosed her and it's like she took care of it. Because, and then I found out later that it was the drug that caused it. And what it does, it eats the inner hair and the inner ears and they go deaf. They lose their sense of balance and they get constant tinnitus. Mm. And um, so she's probably getting all that happening. Yeah. And... And she says, I'm, I'm out of here. Who knows? But then there was all kinds of engineering that came out of that. Um, one of the things was a, a gal who worked with me up at that sanctuary in Wyoming and knew Tejona very well, she got word of Tejona's passing and she went into tragedy. And then that night, uh, um, she's out walking around in the, in, in the starlight, just devastated. She really wanted to see Tejona again, wanted to see my book. And, and uh, she, she's up there in the midst of all the horse training world with just herself yeah. trying to, you know, there's no way she can fight it. Um, it's all treats. And, you know, when they teach a dog to walk on a leash, they have string cheese. And when it moves forward, they get a piece of cheese. And when it moves forward, they get a piece of cheese. And, and um, they don't know any other way. Um, but, so this coyote shows up with a herd of coyotes and walks right over to her and acts like Tejona. And she thinks Tejona's spirit came to visit her. And um, she has this 20-minute conversation with this coyote and thinks it's Tejona and acts like Tejona. And so she calls me the next day and tells me that Tejona visited her and Tejona's spirit threw a coyote. And I was, okay. And we talked for two hours and 40 minutes. And then... Um, um, we hang up, we're talking about death and tragedy, and I explain how the whole belief in tragedy is kind of a problem, blah, blah, blah. And I'm okay. You know, I never, I didn't sleep that night when she died, but I was full of gratitude the whole night, just replaying all the eight wonderful years we had together. It was a very positive kind of experience. There was no tragedy at all. And then so that, when I passed that test, then I went to the next class in the School of Hard Knocks, the next step in self-realization. And it was an amazing next step, you know because I didn't go into tragedy. Uh, I saw it as a test and not as a tragedy. Mm -hmm.
it was a test for her, for me, everything. And then it was a test for the COVID ladies. And then now my friend in Wyoming. So we hang up. And here's where the interesting part really starts happening. We hang up and then her phone rings. It's Casper Hospital. Her son the night before when she was talking to Tejona, the coyote, got in a bad car accident. He's not expected to live. Can she come to the hospital? So she shows up, gets the relatives there. He was just going through a divorce, two boys, and he just started using meth mm -hmm. to self-medicate his tragedy he was going through. And yeah. he created this tragedy. And at any rate, after three days of them trying to save him, she was the one that had to decide to pull the plug. And she says, you know, if Tejona wouldn't have come to visit me, and I wouldn't have talked to you, it would have been the end of me. It would have been the emotional end of me. It would just... But because I had that experience, I was the rock. And I was able to pull that plug with, with love and trust. And I, I knew I was doing the right thing. And I was also able to see clearly and realize the mistakes that he'd been making. And he made him in his marriage, and then now he's making one as he's getting divorced. And that he ended, you know, his life ended in tragedy that he had created. Mm -hmm. And she says, I was so looking forward to seeing Tejona again, figuring it would be alive, but she came to me through the coyote. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't know what happened, but that's her experience of it. Yeah. But so all, and there's many other stories. I don't want to get into that, but. So what looked like a tragedy, I spent another two hours with the COVID nurses with Tejona's body not too far away, explaining how I could be so calm in answer to their questions and going deeper into all this stuff. And I'm explaining it here now. But when we lose the belief in tragedy, then there's no more roller coaster. And then we don't have to be caught up in performance or self-medication. Uh, the self-medication... And the codependency is really tied in with the belief in tragedy. Mm -hmm. But we really can't shed the belief in tragedy, I don't think, until we make really good progress on negativity, negative thoughts, you know, like even negative words. Mm -hmm. um, if you stub your toe and, and you throw a bunch of negativity on it, well, then we're stuck in the separation, so to speak. The toe wasn't a master. That wasn't a master teacher experience. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a tragedy we could learn from and just watch the pain and go, I have to be more careful. Mm -hmm. And thank you for the experience. <laughs> right. Because I can take an already difficult situation and make it worse for myself by reacting from a place of fear. And it's not that it doesn't hurt to stub my toe, mm -hmm. but or when somebody cuts me off, it's not as if I don't feel a jump in my stomach or in my gut that wants to react. But because I have consciousness and expanding awareness, then I have the ability, I have the choice. That's the first thing that came to my mind this morning. You have a choice. Mm -hmm. Who am I going to be? Yeah. I have choices. Who am I going to be? That's the, that's the crux. Without right any judgment to the choice. Yeah. So if I want to wake up at sunrise and do my meditations at sunrise, I have a choice. If I want to sleep in a little bit, mm -hmm. I have a choice. Mm -hmm. It's just a choice. Who am I going to be? Yeah. And whatever choice you make, then be able to learn from it. Yeah. And, so how, and how long right, do versus I... Versus just making choices without thought, ricocheting around... Mm. 
as a codependent, addicted performer. And then, so we're not learning from any of the choices we make, but they, they create our destiny and they keep us stuck in the same class if we're not asking that question. Hmm, I have choices. Who am I going to be? Right. And it starts with our thoughts. So, our, right, our thoughts create our beliefs. Our beliefs create, you know, our reality. And then we, we react or act from that place. But it starts with my thinking. And so that's why for me, if we want to use a Christian type language in terms of, in terms of like purity, right? So it's not about good or evil. It's about how, where is my mind at? And what is it that I'm filling my mind with, right? The Bible says like, guard your heart and test your thoughts that you may know the will of God. And so I can interpret that from a mystical perspective and say, what is it that I'm filling my mind with? Who is it that I'm hanging out with? Um, what is it that, how is it that I'm entertained? And the closer I get to source, the less the things of this world satisfy me in mm -hmm. fact they they tend to make me more discontent but when i was numbing myself with drugs and with relationships then i needed more codependency then i used to watch true crime right and hear a lot of things about people getting murdered and serial killers and it's like i can't even do that now like mm -hmm. i i have i have no desire it makes me sick actually like and so even in terms of our thoughts being things and it's not that anybody is to blame if somebody has cancer right mm -hmm. and so they've chosen that's a really controversial thing to say but it's okay like it's all okay because for all things what work towards the good well and then codependency is fatal hmm our immune system yeah. will attack itself like cancer or something. Mm -hmm. So usually the cause behind the cause of things like cancer is because we don't have our sense of self. We're living for others. Yeah. So we're very vulnerable as prey because if they're having a bad day, then we take it personally. If they take their bad day out on us, then we're, we're devastated. And we got to fix and repair and try to save the situation. Codependency. And that creates all that cortisol and all that stress on your system and the body attacks itself because we're already attacking ourselves through our negativity, our judgment, our fear, our codependency, our victimhood, our prayhood, our trying to be a good horsey. All that messes up with thoughts or things in our, our immune system. Mm -hmm. So someone's trying to go to a hospital and get cured of cancer and getting chemo and radiation and stuff like that, but they're still codependent and their immune system is not being helped. It's more attacked by more stuff. It just gets to be a vicious circle. Mm, in the 12 steps. But nobody's fault in the sense of, it's just, it is what it is when we are raised in the separation yeah. as good horses. In the 12 step program that I'm part of, we say, we were actually creating our own problems. <clears throat> so it's about <clears throat> taking responsibility. And so it's a tough pill to swallow the process of maturation, of maturing, and no longer staying in a place of self-pity, of fear, of blaming other people for my problems. Like, I can't blame the government. I can't blame Trump. I can't blame Biden. I can't blame mm -hmm. Israel mm -hmm. or <laughs> Egypt or fucking, you know, Antarctica, right? Like, I can't blame you. 
I can't blame my parents. That's a big one because I blamed my parents for a long time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Victim, prey. Right. But it's like, yes, I have been programmed, but what do I want to do about my problem and where can I find help? So I have to look for help. And like, it's not all, it's not, not every answer is found within because we are all interconnected. And so people help me. I need help from other people because I'm not alone. It's Mm -hmm. not just me. Like I used to think that I could try to solve all my problems and figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. So whether I'm just talking to a therapist or calling a friend or hugging a tree, right? Like I, because there is this interconnectedness, if I think that I can just do it all on my Mm -hmm. own and blame myself, solve my own problems, pick myself up by my bootstraps, then I'm still in that place Mm -hmm. of separation. Mm -hmm. Right. You you become prey to yourself almost. Mm. And so backing up, you mentioned your parents. When we can just sort of start to grasp that concept that if we did choose our parents... And this is a great way to figure out where our life mission is. Why would we choose those parents? And then especially when you've had problems with them and you're blaming them. Mm. Well, there's huge revelation as to what your mission is. Why did you come in to that culture? Why did you choose that race, that religion you were born into, if whatever? And those parents. And look at the rough edges you came in with. If you have... If you're easily angered or easily afraid or easily impatient or whatever, that's something you may have brought in with you to master this time. And you get to master that by having all these classes in the School of Hard Knocks. And so if you chose those parents and they were pretty rough on you, that was probably your intention to go through that and come out the other side. Mm -hmm. But if you don't come out the other side you'll still get all the lessons when you do your life review. There's no death, but after you transition, nothing's lost. No, no, everybody learns eventually, but it's so much better to really learn when we're in the separation and we don't know about all this other lifetimes and, and who we really are and who mm-hmm. God really is. That's the real test when we're here. And it's, it's like going into a, a, a spook house on Halloween or something and it's scary even though you know it's just designed to scare you and it's not no one's really going to hurt you but it's still scary mm-hmm. that's what this this is like it's it's designed to scare you but it's really not scary yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's a spook house yeah um the separation is a spook house mm. when when Jesus is on the cross and he's getting tested cuz all these people are yelling crucify him and he, it's painful and he had to carry a cross, and every, looks like the whole world's going against him. Can he stay in the oneness? And it, if the words are true that were recorded, when he got to the point of saying, you know, um, Father, why have you forsaken me? Ah, he's been tested so much, he's starting to turn into victimhood. Mm-hmm. Poor me, what have you done to me? I, why have you forsaken me? If that's what he said. And then he accomplishes it, and then he it's finished. He finished his his um, self-realization adventure by saying it is finished and father forgive them for they know not what they do. And that to me, that's really, that's saying to the whole religion, 
forgive this religion because they have no idea what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They think they're doing the right thing by stopping consciousness. Stopping love your neighbors yourself, stopping progress, stopping change. The religion thinks it's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Roman government, they weren't going to crucify Jesus, you know. It's the religion. Right. And then because the way a new religion was created, brought in, they got off the hook. It became God's fault. God had to have Jesus, his only son, you know, his umpteen zillion universes out there, or, I mean, uh, galaxies and stuff. And God had no wives, no daughters, and he's male, and he sits on a throne and only had one kid in the whole thing. And the only way he's not going to send us all to hell is if that kid is tortured and, and do this blood sacrifice that's so part of that Jewish religion. And then we have to pray and accept Jesus into our hearts. And if you don't, then you're going to hell, which is like a made up thing. It's not even in the Bible. Like it doesn't even make sense. It's like, it's not even the closest thing is the Jewish concept of Sheol, right? Which is like, it can be like interpreted as many things, but like the underworld. Right. And so I could interpret that as like the subconscious Mm -hmm. or, you know, the, literally the underworld like or just dis- disincarnate entities that didn't go to the light right exactly like it can be like these chthonic or earthly spirits right Earthbound like souls right yeah and so if there's like many different dimensions to the soul and we have like many aspects to ourselves then there's a part of us that stays around in remembrance through you know if we have any work that we leave or our names or our families remember us and we venerate our ancestors then there's a part of them that's still with us and then there's a part of them that goes on and whether they reincarnate or go on to do other work you know we Mm -hmm. don't know you know it's a mystery just for today for our from our perspective from our perspective yeah that's why it's so amazing because it is a great mystery and every time we try to define the great mystery then we're limiting it Mm -hmm. and especially we define it thousands of years ago when we still thought the earth was the center of the universe and we didn't you know now we've i mean now the hubble telescope will come out with a new galaxy and it's just beautiful it's incredible and some person that's now that's no big deal you know, when I was a kid, they walked on the moon, and we're like looking at every little yeah, thing, you know? Yeah. And now it's just, oh, that's a pretty thing, but, you know, it doesn't even interest me. I'm, I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That things have really changed in a couple hundred years, that's for sure. Yeah. That we can see faraway galaxies. What does that mean about what we know? And we don't... We, the separation is so strong, we don't catch up easy. And then we can say things like, yep, God only had one kid. And if we don't repent and believe in him, we're going to go eternity in hell. And those Ten Commandments, you know, how many preachers have you said where they go? They go through them. Have you ever yeah, l- exactly. lusted after your whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and have you ever st- stolen? Well, then you're going to hell. Yeah, therefore... Right. And you have to call on Jesus or you're going to hell. It's such an Because you stole a lollipop when you were four. Yeah, and you know, it's like, the, the ba- there's many layers, right? Like, so it's like, we have to understand the fundamentals of the story so that we can then go deeper into the metaphysical and mystical layers of what's going on beyond, like, below the surface. 
you know, I was thinking about the cross alchemically represents like the intersection of awareness and appearance. And I think that that's really a profound thing for me to meditate upon is my awareness and then just noticing the things that are around me. It's like, that's the most basic thing, but we live in a, in a state of unawareness where we're so distracted by flashing lights and pretty colors mm -hmm. that I don't even notice that there's a painting and there's a painting and <laughs> you know, there's a piano, like just taking in the surroundings that are around. I remember when I was little, there was like a, as I started to grow up and become aware of my world, like there was a, a painting above my bed that was like, it was, I knew it had been there all along, but it was like, I was seeing it for the first time and it mm -hmm. tripped me out. And I just was like, where did that come from? When did that get there? Like, when did my mom put that there? Uh -huh. Like, I, I know it's been there, but right. you know, starting to ask those expansive questions. You had reached a point where you're able to recognize it mm. before you weren't there yet. And then it all of a sudden had meaning and value and and then it was like a mystery too. Well, when did that get here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, life is very, very interesting on this planet. That's for sure. Mm. And the separation is really, really strong. And there's two really bad side effects to that that don't help. And that is reason people and logical people look at the religions and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because mm. they don't want to be tainted at all by that primitive crazy stuff and that's that's not a tragedy it's just that's kind of what happens when it's so upside down and backwards that people don't want nothing to do with it and then so what you end up happening lots of times you have maybe an atheist or a bunch of atheists and they're good people and they're they're being good people not because they're proving their worth to some definition of deity they're good people because they just are good people and also, probably every one of them incarnated this time around to see what it was like to be an atheist, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so that all that judgment that if you're not with us, then you're going to hell. There's only one lifetime and you have to be saved. Otherwise, you're going to be punished for eternity. It's such an obvious, goofy story. Yeah. And then the other problem that happens is a whole lot of people when they die, you know, they're afraid to go to the light because they're afraid to get judged by some judgmental God. They might go to hell, so I'm going to stay here. Now they're a spook. They're disincarnate entity. They're an earthbound soul, and they're confused, and they're, some of them cause trouble. You know, it's just, and they're loaded. I mean, this planet is loaded because our religions are so primitive. We don't understand death. We create a whole lot of people afraid of God. Fear of God, fear of God, fear of God. I'm dying. There's the light. I'm afraid of God. I'm sorry. And people, we're so uneducated in how to die. So I've heard it said that I walk in death as I walk in life. And so for me, the process of surrender, 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 letting go of fear and attachment is so that my soul can move forward whenever I quote unquote die. 
I'm already dead, I believe. <laughs> right? And so I just have had enough experiences that I'm pretty sure that's true. What do you, what do you mean you're already dead? That my that death is not a real thing. That my soul is already in that state that it will be in when my body okay. stops. So the soul doesn't die. Like, no, no, and no so I'm, I could say the same thing of like, I'm already alive and I'll continue to always be alive mm -hmm. is to say like that I'm dead and, you right. know, in the same state that I'll be in whenever right. I'm dead. And so a lot of these deeper mystical practices are about learning how to live which is to learn how to die so that one can transcend the process of reincarnation and no longer be necessarily bound to having to come back and learn these lessons all over again. And so as I raise my awareness and as I surrender my will to a higher purpose and to divinity and to, I mean, this is an extreme point of view for me that where I'm at is that to allow divinity to flow through me in all my affairs and all that I do. And there are still temptations. Mm -hmm. Of course. Right? But as long as I stay clean and sober, mm -hmm. then I'm not being... It's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a lot easier, right? And so it's not wrong to, no. you know, smoke a little weed, drink yeah. a little. But for yeah. me, I can't do that. Right, right. And if you did, you're just dropping back in a previous class. Yeah. You have a memory of this class you're in. So you've got more tools to help yourself evolve and get back to the class that you just left. Mm -hmm. So you can, lots of times when we don't have that, when we don't see things in that sort of linear going from one class in the school of hard knocks to the next perception. It's sort of like climbing that mountain I was telling you about. When you get in the higher classes, well, just problems. <laughs> and then if you mess up a little bit, make a poor choice, and then you dropping down into having the same lessons over again in a previous class when you see clearly you can you, you can figure out what exactly what you did and then watch for the tests to come and then pass them and like tests that happen that that like hurt your body or something when we learn those we pass those tests right away it's just like then the hurt goes away even because it's no longer necessary see yeah the pain can just disappear um, even though your your stub toe is bleeding, um, because you instantly passed the test. You saw it as a test. You you didn't put any negativity in any judgment. You totally learned. Wow, I wasn't paying attention, or I forgot I put that there in the dark the other night. And then I, it's my I messed up. I wasn't aware, and so I can't curse God or or make some kind of a negative thing outside of myself. I did this to myself. I'm learning from it. I'm going to pass this test. And then, wow, that pain sure went away quick. Hmm. Is it no longer needed? Last year, I carried around a lot of pain in my upper back, in my left knee, like all along my left side of my body, and then in my right wrist because I would stay up for days and, you know, at my desk trying to make enough art to be good enough, right? <laughs> Obviously using drugs. And um, so whenever I quit the drugs, uh, those drugs, <laughs> I still carried around that pain. 
and then I went and got acupuncture and the woman was saying, you know, that you know, the body needs to relax. And, and I had a realization that I was like, I don't know if I've ever relaxed in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I realized how much trauma I've carried around in my body mm -hmm. and like carried that on from my ancestors as well as like I've inherited that well, dis-ease. It, it, it's probably what well, I would see at any rate is you brought it in to master. So when you bring something in, that rough edge, you brought it in to polish it, take away the roughness. And lots of times we bring in plenty of rough edges and our whole lifetime we polish a few. Then we got you know, some for the next lifetime to, if we want to do it again. It's not like there's some judgmental figure going, well, you were a turd last time, so this time you get to be, you know, we're, we're, our free will is really running the show because we will, we will commit ourselves to some pretty rough tests when, once we, when we're in that dimension we call heaven. We don't need somebody else to come and give us an assignment and be a dictator. All that, I think, and I don't know nothing, but that whole dictator thing, I think, to throw that out the window. We're not performing in this world or in the dimension we call heaven for a dictator to try to gain their favor. Oh, well, I'll, I'll volunteer to take on a really rough lifetime and, and poverty and suffering to appease the dictator or something like that. No, it's, it's about growing and learning and, and feeling the oneness and the interconnectedness and having experiences. And, and, the, and the creator gets to have those experiences too. Mm. It's really, a, I think, an extremely marvelous thing. But... Even like I was saying before, it, as we destroy the earth, because the separation is so strong here, it's inevitable we'll do that, probably. And like a and, question and, and is... Not and not a huge tragedy, because there is no tragedy. Right. So how do we deal with it, even as the world burns around us? It's all personal. At every moment, we're going, okay, who do I want to be? Right. And that's how we chart our personal destiny as things are falling apart around us or whatever. It's really no different when the earth falls around apart us or being in any of the 2,400 variations of religion on this planet. We start to see clearly in their falling apart. We could see that as a tragedy. What? Right. You mean Jesus is not my savior? He's my best friend instead? Oh, that's, a, uh, that's painful. I need a savior. And I was going to go to heaven where I didn't have to worry about evolving or thinking. I just you know, played a harp and praised a codependent, needy God. And I was looking forward to that. Nobody wants that. Nobody you know, right? wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. But that's the carrot on the stick. I, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I added extra words like don't worry about evolving. But mm. that's the gen... That's yeah. Swallow this dogma. Swallow this doctrine. Swallow this inerrant scripture. And then you're chosen. And you can feel better than all those people that aren't Catholic or whatever. Right. Um, and uh, it could be all upside down and backwards. And therefore, it's a spook house. And so it's us to figure out that it, it's just created ways to try to scare us and think it's real. Like a spook house. And it's just a Halloween spook house. Mm -hmm. And somebody's making money from it. <laughs> you know and it's all i believe a habit of the mind and so even like my ego 
is just a habit of the mind that stems from a belief in separation and that I have to boost up myself, self, I have to boost up myself, step on other people, make myself at the top of my game so that I can win out over somebody else. But all that is, is just a habit of the mind. It's not the true essence of who I am. And people, myself included, have been so attached to this habit of the mind, of the ego, because it's reinforced within our society, right? Come in, kill the natives, dominate the land, tear down the trees. We don't give a shit about the consequences. When I lived in East Texas last year, I was close to the Trinity River in Lake Livingston. And during the summer, I would hear the sound of motors. And I thought that they were jet skis, people having fun. And then over time, after living there and seeing lots of big trucks pass by with large lumber, I realized that it was actually the sound of trees being sawed down. And my heart got really sad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they're doing it the right way or whatever, you know, but I felt dis-ease at being there. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be in that environment in the same way that I didn't want to be in a city anymore. Because I can also choose, so just how important is my perception and the environment that I'm in. And I don't have to try to save everybody if I'm not called. Right? So it's not my job to go protest the cutting down of trees, right? I can try to conserve paper. I can walk around my neighborhood and pick up beer bottles if I see them. What can I do in my immediate environment as I'm compelled by the spirit, if you will? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a very subtle thing. It's a process of growing from you know, gross realizations to more and more subtle, like, like the divine really, you know, it's like walking along a, a razor's edge, I find, is that the, the more I'm on this spiritual path, the less leeway I have to go off it, and the sharper the cut whenever I fall. I'd like to make a comment about what's in the news right now, and that's the fall of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, Kabul just fell, and with hardly a fire firing a shot. And so, one way I see that is, you know, the Taliban—that's the separation, big time. They're they're real master teachers for all of us, showing mm -hmm. us what religion can be. Huge master teacher, what fundamentalism creates. And so, when Russia, well, evidently England was over there three times, trying to you know, bring British control mm -hmm. over fundamentalism and failed three times. And, and they're the ones that drew the boundary of Afghanistan um, and divided up tribes and things like that. That was kind of weird. But at any rate, then Russia tried with their might, military might, more modern stuff to, you know, defeat these fundamentalists with all their military might went on for years and years and finally gave up and then we come in hello and um now 20 years later whatever it is 
we're pulling out and mm-hmm. fundamentalism is healthy as ever. Yeah, so all those lives. Right, and so, and Jesus, I think, did the same thing, but not in a different form. He tried, you know, fundamentalism came after him, and we didn't learn from it. And fundamentalism comes to this day. Fundamentalism. That separation, say. The basic It's level. So it's really hard to, especially with force, that just empowers it. So... For me, the way you could deal with something like that is put together um, learning centers in, in those areas in the world like Afghanistan. You might not be able to do it in their country if the Taliban's got them, but a nearby country where folks, young kids and stuff, could go to a learning center and learn the stuff we're talking about here today. Learn about fundamentalism, learn about human nature, why human nature needs to create deities and religions and then they become concrete and absolute etc etc but to be able to understand the human nature aspect like from an anthropological point Mm -hmm. of view of how humans create religions and then there they are especially patriarchal religions how you know dastardly they are towards women and everything else and um because there's this great example. There's Afghanistan that's now run by the Taliban again. Mm-hmm. Nobody can defeat fundamentalism mm-hmm. with force. Hatred it, never ceases by hatred. Well, fundamentalism survives on having an enemy, the us and them. Right. Because then they don't have to look at themselves and see themselves clearly. That's why Pharisees, Jesus was their enemy, and that protects them from seeing themselves clearly. Versus he turned over those tables what are we doing here with all these sacrifices and all these money changers and this big business of religion? Maybe this Yahoo's got something to teach us. We don't evolve within a religion. We devolve, usually. Right. And then, so when you try to fight fundamentalism, that's a real problem. But anyway, in these learning centers, then the idea is you get free learning and you're bringing in you know, insight from the oneness and then those people go back into their communities, back into their countries with this new way of looking at things versus attacking them with weapons. And then part of that is the compassion. Like on a typical war, when you blow up a hundred enemy, yay! There could be, the president of the United States could say, um, after reporting what happened today, a hundred Taliban were killed we lost 33 guys, and every life is tragic. We, we, we apologize that we had to go to those lengths. We don't want anybody to be harmed. We don't want to, we're just trying to have some ownership here and protect this woman's school or whatever it is. Um, but there's that feeling of oneness. We were felt forced to do this. Maybe it was a, a wrong thing to do. Maybe we'll learn from it. But 100 Taliban died, and that's tragic. Mm. But that's not how war works. The enemy, we celebrate when they die. Mm-hmm. That's the separation. Mm-hmm. And so right now the Taliban is separated, is celebrating. And so they'll be stronger than ever. They've, had, they've defeated England three times, Russia once, the United States once. They're like the strongest force on the planet. Why? Because it's fundamentalism. Mm. Because there's no morality there. 
Or it's its own morality. Yeah, its so own they can they can do whatever they want mm-hmm. and suppress, suppress, suppress. And so they promise they'll be nice, but by their definition, they won't be. You know, it'll devolve, most likely. And then they'll export terrorism to other places because having an enemy is how you keep fundamentalism. You have to have the us and them. And so if I want to flip that to changing it from the separation to the oneness, I can recognize that in a manner of speaking, the Taliban is within me. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. So They represent us. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, an, it's a supposedly external reflection, but because there is no subject and object out there, it's all part of this. Mm-hmm. And so I've had times in my life when I sure would love to off an enemy, you know, mm-hmm. destroy my enemies. Yeah. But that can also mean like that which with, is within me that makes me think that I'm separate. Like that's how I could perceive an enemy that's within me. Like if I'm praying these Psalms, right? Like destroy all those who cut off my life. Like destroy that which is within me that makes me believe that I'm separate to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, 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 good. <laughs> excellent, you. excellent, excellent. And you and I have both probably had lifetimes as Taliban. Mm, right, right. And if we haven't, we will probably do it in the future because that's part of what we do. So we get to see all the different sides and be able to feel that interconnectedness and that oneness. And maybe if I have compassion, then I don't have to play out that scenario either. Or that, in a manner of speaking, I already am that. I'm Uh already doing it now. You already passed that test. You don't have to go in that class. Right. And so, like, having compassion can keep me from having to learn. So, like, wisdom doesn't have to be obtained through treacherous experiences over and over. I can obtain wisdom here and now in this moment by opening my eyes to the awareness of compassion and love and divinity that flows through all things. So, cause if I start to judge somebody else who's relapsed, right. And I start to say, Oh, that person's just going to relapse again. I'm just setting myself up for a fucking relapse. <laughs> right. And I've seen it happen. Uh-huh. And so that's why yep. I try <laughs> by the grace of my higher power to stay humble mm-hmm. and to not judge other people. Cause as soon as I start to judge somebody, then I'm just setting myself up See, to and that's go the through that definition of the separation, fear, judgment, and negativity. Mm. And belief in tragedy. Oh, they've relapsed. It's a tragedy. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one too, you know. Because so when it's someone that Therefore, you love, they are now your master teacher because they relapsed. Mm-hmm. To help you understand tragedy totally. better. Totally. And it's totally. judgment. And then keep taking yourself into the next classes. And then there's less roller coaster. And then less need to self-medicate. Or less need to judge other people. Because in the separation, we really need to judge other people so that we don't have to look at ourselves. Yeah, that's like a form of medication. Yeah. It's like judging others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so fundamentalism is all about judgment. God's a judger. Mm-hmm. And so it can evolve. And it's, but it's very strong on this planet. 
And so the Taliban is, a, is an incredible example of that, that these, I mean, Russia's a big place back in the old days, and we're a big place. In England, three, three trips over there, the British trying to subdue Taliban. That's five different long, long wars, and they're as strong as ever because they have an enemy. Right. And in their judgmental mindset, that keeps them from seeing themselves clearly, seeing their religion clearly. And then when they call on Allah, Allah shows up. And they think, all, therefore, all this must be true. And when they get fellowship together, like I said before, um, you know, and if you don't have the love and humility with it, just the creative force, you, your aspect of the creator, when everybody joins together in a creative manner, but with corrupted power, there's fundamentalism. Feeling the divine in the midst, but they're feeling their own corrupted power without the love and humility. But see, free will, we get to, you know, God doesn't come along and save us. The creator doesn't save us from our poor choices but the presence is still there. It doesn't like, come in like a, a blast of light or something and say, you got this wrong. Here's how you got to do it. It doesn't work that way. We are the ones figuring out what we're going to learn in this class, in this lifetime, in this experience. Who are we going to be in the moment? Who am I going to be? I have choices. Normally, we don't even realize we have choices. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we do see we have a choice, the less responsible choice, the, the choice that helps us from not seeing ourselves clearly is the one we're going to choose. Yeah, that's like our just default programming. Mm -hmm. That's just the default. Procrastination, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, self-limitation, fear. Mm -hmm. And so we don't evolve real fast sometimes. But now with climate change and... Taliban succeeding and the corona you know it's it's quite a hurricane of energies right now stirring the pot which is inevitable we all go through cycles of mm -hmm. death and rebirth of creativity and destruction and we're just clearly in a destructive tide right now but how but this is can be like the most fertile ground for something, well, I wouldn't say new, because there's nothing new under the sun, but fertile or, ground. Or, or everything is new under the sun. Sure, <laughs> <Either way. laughs> sure, or it seems that way. So how is it, I think of myself as like a pillar when the winds blow strong, like to be a tree, like planted with my roots deep that even when there's chaos around me, like I can be that pillar. And so I don't have to worry about other people and trying to change other people or tell them how to be a pillar. I, all I can do is be an example. I can just be that beacon and surrender my will, my desires of the flesh to be right, to get high, to look good or to, uh, you know, appease others to, you know, be a people pleaser, right? Because I'm not going to be able to please everybody. Not everybody is going to understand the words that I'm saying. And that's none of my business. Like there's a saying that's like, what other people think about me and say about me is none of my business. It's outside of my control. All I can do is just do 
the next right thing when I'm in tune with divinity. And so to me, it's like, it's no longer about denying the unseen, but immersing myself in that which I don't know. Like when I don't know, that's a good place for me to be at. Because when I think I know, then I'm trying to convince you of what I think I know. And see, all this can give you a glimpse into your mission now that you've had some You've been on some roller coasters. Mm -hmm. You've been. You went to the amusement park. You went to the spook house. Yeah, I got sick you, while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but that gives you maybe more insight into your rough edges you brought in. Why did you choose those parents? If your mission was to really get your feet wet with this whole addiction thing and eating disorder and and being a, you know. A, attractive young lady in, in, in this particular paradigm. Mm -hmm. And you got, you, you, the, these are your setups. So that gives you an idea. I'm, I'm thinking they're your setups. That's how I see things. But um, that gives you an idea what your mission is. And now look at the things that you're saying. So if you would have come in and just became the captain of the cheerleaders or the king of the football team and got married and lived with a white picket fence in the two-car garage and good jobs and healthy kids and no tragedies, you wouldn't be thinking and talking like you are. And I'd be You might miserable. be a Baptist. Yeah, I was a Baptist. <laughs> and I tried out for the cheerleading team, but I didn't make it. <laughs> so, you know, higher power at play. <laughs> Helping you with your mission. Yeah. Because you weren't, you know, your mission was to have some rough classes in the school of hard knocks so that you could get more self-realized. And part of one of the tests is not comparing myself to the people with the picket fence because I have a family member who's so dear to me and, you know, they have the money and they just bought a dog that was shipped over and had its own <laughs> plane and somebody brought it to their doorstep and they have the cars, they have the kids and there's that inclination because of the reinforcement of society where I'm like, man, it sure would be nice to know where my next meal's going to come from. Cause, cause I'm definitely like, I'm right there on the edge of being like, just trusting that somehow all of my needs are met and not worrying about like, do I have a house in Marfa? Do I have a Cadillac? And do I have social acceptability? Like mm -hmm. one of the things in our program says, social acceptability doesn't equal recovery. So I can have all of those things and still be miserable on mm -hmm. the inside because right. I tried to get married, right? I was married and I was miserable. Like it didn't solve my problems. Mm -hmm. I still had an eating disorder. Like I've tried, I've had the boyfriend who had it all that I thought that I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so now I'm learning that the true depths of contentment, of serenity, and not worrying about the results and not worrying about who is it that I'm helping? Why is it that I'm here? I just, today is all I have. And I just try to do whatever's next on the agenda for the day and letting go of the 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 still the waves that come up that like you know want me to feel anxious or worry about the future all of those are just you can call them tests or just waves and that will dissolve you know as i surrender my own will 
Let me throw a seat thought out. Imagine you've had several lifetimes where you bit off a whole lot, and in each one of them you became self-realized and, and lived without fear, judgment, and negativity, and belief in tragedy. And then you came to this lifetime, lifetime and set up a whole other bunch of... Great, thanks. <laughs> see? Yeah. Because the process is actually who you are. Sometimes I think that I did it to myself and that I think it's hilarious. <laughs> that I think it's really funny that I keep doing this. Say, versus like you're working lifetime after lifetime and lifetime to finally reach self-realization some lifetime in the future. Maybe it's not like that for you. Maybe you've gotten there many times and you're coming back for more spook house. Yeah. Yeah. And changing the... You know, instead of the Taliban this time, it was North America. Um, Texas, I think you said, or something. Texas. Yeah, right. So that puts a little different perspective on it too, doesn't it? So not your first rodeo of understanding how this works and how you, when we incarnate and we forget everything... And then we think everything around us, this is what's real. And we drink the Kool-Aid. And, and then since it's upside down and backwards, then we have plenty of poor choices to make because it's become normalized. And then our, our peer group really affects us because we're horse trained and victim prey. So if they're doing something, boy, golly, we're doing it too. Mm. And then we get together, we, go to the, we pack up and form a herd, and then we go to the lowest common denominator. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now we're all imbibing worse than we would on our own because we have this peer mm-hmm. thing going on. Yeah, I heard it's it's more likely, if I'm hanging out with people who are using drugs, it's more likely that they're going to help me use drugs than I am going to be helping them to recover. So mm-hmm. I have to be so careful. That's why I don't hang out with hardly anybody. Mm-hmm. Like someone asked me the other day that she was like, who do you hang out with in town? I don't want to be like, I go to 12 You know, I was like... <laughs> I was like, not many people, not many people, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not apologetic about that either. Like, cause I can learn to be content. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, just like yeah. sitting in silence or just, or just go out and watch for the serendipity mm-hmm. with no agenda, yeah, with no needs. Your cup is full. If there's some serendipity, some people that you could meet and, and the coming together would be useful in terms of everybody's movement, that journey, um, Oneness bound, separation born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then you've got that guidance putting together s- stuff for you versus your own needs trying to find a way to get them filled. Yeah. I'm lonely. Yeah, what exactly. I, I need a distraction. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really need a compliment from somebody or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, or a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Wish that guy had texted me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, I don't, you know, I figure whatever is meant to come into my path will come to me, you know, I can be open and receptive, um, but I don't have to go out looking for it anymore. Like, I don't have to continue to force my own ways that I think that the world should be uh, because whenever I do that, people end up hurt and I end up um, feeling a lot more pain 
and I don't have to feel that pain. I used to think that I had to feel it in order to grow, but no, no, I don't no. have to. And remember I told you in the last deal, I think about getting ownership of your house, like with a dog or a kid, you walk in and do the inspection mm -hmm. in your highest form. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for trouble. You're not judgmental. You're not fear-based. You're not negative. You're just inspecting. And then you're modeling that to the dog or the kid. We can do the same thing with yourself. You get up in the morning, you've done your morning routine, and then you go for a walk, and now you're just doing an inspection of yourself. So you're in your highest form, not being judgmental, not being negative, not being fear, and you're looking for fear, judgment, and negativity, or belief in tragedy in the room that you represent mm -hmm. your, yourself. And if you find those things, then you can decide, hmm, who am I going to be? I have some judgment here. Ooh, I got a little bit of negativity here. Oh, I got a little bit of fear here. Now, who am I going to be? And make it fun. Oh, there's some belief in tragedy here today. So that's the self-reflective, self-awareness, self-discovery process in spades. Mm -hmm. Instead of over lifetimes, you can do it just going for a walk. Mm -hmm. Look for those four things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then find the paradox of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 12 steps again. <laughs> There's a pamphlet that we read that's called the triangle of self-obsession. And it's resentment at the past, anger in the present, and anxiety or fear about the future. And so it's like taking those three defects of character is what we call them and flipping them to the positive right so instead of resentment i'm in a place of forgiveness instead of anger i'm in a place of acceptance and instead of fear or anxiety i'm in a place of faith or trust and then love sort of like binds all of them together and so whenever i get those triggers i can use them as opportunities to actually deepen and heal further because I look at when I'm when I'm carrying around resentments I'm taking up space in my creative mind of the creator to limit myself and how much I can manifest and how much goodness I can bring into my life it's not about material abundance it's about contentment and joy you've in a sense brought the separation or the Taliban into your choices mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and so I can heal. How can I heal the world? How can I help the situation with the Taliban? By healing these things that are within me. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they are really fulfilling their mission, in a sense, of enlightening others. Here's how not to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the paradox comes in, where it's not like they're separate, but that mm -hmm. for all things work towards the good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's our puzzle to solve. And then we get all this divine help in solving the puzzle, but it's not to rescue us from the puzzle, to understand the puzzle, the great mystery, to get more understanding of it, but not to think that now we know everything. We, we see all the pieces. And, and it's that constant, interesting dance with love, humility, and power. Because when you start solving puzzles, there's a power in that. The love and humility needs to come along, and that power will corrupt. 
So the, when the ego pops up, that's the lack of love and humility. Now you're impressing somebody else with what you, what puzzles, places you put together. Mm-hmm. And then if they are impressed, oh, I feel better. Now you're still back in the codependent separation. Yeah, right. And then your motivation for becoming a puzzle solver is to back to impress other people. That's that horse training again. To, to just be... I am a puzzle solver. I am the wolf. I notice things. I'm looking all the time to like to evolve, to eat and be not be eaten, so to speak. And so for you to to perpetuate your existence, you know, you're looking for ways to to make a living, ways to bring in some money. And if you do that from the oneness, it's really in the serendipity of it all. It's very mm-hmm. different than doing it from the separation, fear-based, judgment-based, negative-based. How can I? Mm-hmm. And then so you can find stuff, but it's still not the reward that comes like if you're in the oneness. Yeah. And, and someone texts me and says, hey, can you clean my house? And yeah. I say yes. <laughs> or when you called me out of the blue, went on your way back from Santa Fe, and that led to all this. Mm-hmm. I paid attention because I had an event that you called right before and go, Okay, well, that's interesting, and here we are. Here we are. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm watching that. That, to me, was serendipity, so I don't know what that's all about. Um, I'll see if I can figure it out. Yeah. And. Um, okay. Anything right. else you want to touch on um, while we're here? Yeah, I think the last the way to conclude it is that we are all Tejona. Mm. Tejona, by the way, means Kotamundi, Akwati. It's a ringtail, half monkey sort of animal, um, raccoon looking thing with a striped tail. She had a striped tail and a face like a Kwati, mm. Kotamundi. And um, her full name was Tejona Yolanda Garcia Luján Rodríguez Almenderas de Montoya. Mm. And uh, if I haven't been on it for two years, but a, a gal in, in Sedona helped set up an Instagram account for her. If anybody wants to see her pictures of her riding a motorcycle, just Google Tejona Yolanda. Mm-hmm. And um, I should go there someday and see what... I'm just not a social media kind of person. Yeah. But um, so that's the thought I'm coming up with here is that we're all Tejona. She was born in the separation. And she went after chickens. And then the Taliban got her and was going to execute her. And that looked like a tragedy. And then I had a vacancy, and now, which looked like a tragedy. And now I find Tejona. And then she becomes a self-realized dog. And it's an inspiration for all kinds of people. And then when she died... All kinds of people, like my friend in Wyoming, just went into big tragedy. And then so we got to work all that out. Where, no. She had a full life. She was on death row. She got eight more years. And she decided, I think, that maybe a little divine engineering, but to to use it all as a test for me. And then she would not be happy not being able to ride a motorcycle without balance or or deafness and and constant tinnitus. Yeah. And... um, so as she's processing this new thing and trying to figure out what am I going to do with this, you know, she has wisdom. And 
and lack of fear and not and not the fear of death you know maybe mm -hmm. there's an understanding there and a connection and then so it ends up being this incredible teaching moment instead of a huge tragedy beautiful so we are all tehona we are all tehona all right you heard it here um <laughs> well thank you david for joining me <clears throat> and joining us it's been a pleasure having these conversations and so I'll, I'll include all your information, your website and everything in the, in the show notes so that when people go on and they can, I'll try to, I'll find your Instagram okay. and people can look, look up Tejona and all that. So thank you, David. All right. Thank you. Okay. This concludes my conversation with David Sleeper. Recorded in Marfa, Texas, at the historic Building 98. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and share with your friends. You can also leave a positive review on iTunes. Consider becoming a patron at patreon.com ATSM for a thousand serious moves. You can also support this podcast by purchasing art from my Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Hanael777. That's H-A-N-A-E-L-777. Also, if you live in far west Texas, I'll be doing tarot readings this weekend at the Wienertown Marketplace, September 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Coincidentally, it is Labor Day weekend as well as the Marfa Lights Festival. So come on out to Wienertown <laughs> and get your cards read. I'll also be selling Florida water, some Natron, Sator house blessings, and a few other mystical supplies. If you'd like to reach out to me about getting a tarot reading, you can send me an email at htxoracle at gmail.com. All of this information is posted in the show link notes. So subscribe, enjoy, and I'll see y'all later. Blessings.